Well, guys, we're going to dive right in. Um, last week, Pastor Todd spoke uh, an encouraging and strong message on abortion last week. And if I would challenge you, if you did not get a chance or opportunity to hear that message, to go online and listen to it. Uh, it's strong, it's powerful, it's a needed message. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go online and visit that and check, check that, that message out. Today, we're going to continue on our study in Philippians. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series called Chasing Jesus. And if you have seen the overarching theme of Philippians is this, joy. Paul, in the midst of all of his circumstances, he could write this letter joyful. And you see it throughout his writings, all throughout Philippians, is the joy that Paul has. And it's like, man, where does he get this joy from? His source of joy comes from something so much greater. And so Paul is going to continue this writings to us, and he's going to tell us what it looks like to chase after, to pursue Jesus with all that we have and, and what we own. So as we continue today and we dive into this sermon series, we're going to be in chapter 3. And you guys may not know this, some of you do if you've been here before, that I grew up not far from here, right up the road in Quitman, a small country town. Uh, I grew up on a farm. My mom and dad were teachers. My dad's a principal. But on my farm, we had a lot of cows and chickens and horses and all that good stuff. And so I grew up having to work very, very hard. My dad had us out in, early in the morning. He would tell me, you have to wake up early. You got to get on the grind. You got to work very hard. Nobody's going to give you anything. You got to work for everything that you get. And so he instilled that in us, my brother and my sister, at a young age, that we have to work really hard. And that came from his background, too. You know, he didn't, they didn't always grow up in the country. They grew up in Dallas, in South Oak Cliff, which is a little bit tougher, rougher neighborhood. And you had to really, he had to really work very hard to get ahead. My grandfather, who is a professor, he had to work very hard to get ahead in anything. And so this, this constant self-reliance that my father taught me at a young age is just instilled in me. I think about my dad. He just had surgery a couple of days ago, and he gets out of surgery, and I say, oh, I'm going to go and mow your yard, and he's like, you're not touching my lawnmower. He, he wouldn't let me even do that. So even though he would give the shirt off his back to anybody, he finds it very, very hard to receive anything. I do too, and I believe a lot of us in this room would probably echo that. You would probably say that, we take pride in being able to handle it on our own, being able to do whatever we needed to do to take care of business on our own. I think about that, and I think about how we are, when we act this way and we, when we, the way that we've been instilled, if you've come up with values like that, and not being able to receive gifts very well, it makes it very hard for you to be able to give as well also. We always have this, we're always kind of skeptical in the back of our minds, like, what is it? Like, if I do something, if I receive something from somebody, now I owe them something. Like, I have to do something for them in return. I just don't think we can ever truly, as humans, rec recognize and accept grace. 
we can never really comprehend God's grace that he has for, our, for us. When I think of grace, I'll think of it like this, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. God's righteousness is at Christ's expense. And Paul, he wants you guys, and he's writing to the believers, he wants us to remember this. He wants us to keep this at the front of our minds that our righteousness is not dependent upon ourselves. Our confidence does not come from ourselves and the things that we do. He wants us to remember that righteousness is found in Christ and Christ alone. So today we're going to talk a lot about righteousness and what that looks like. And so I want to make sure that you understand and we're on the same page of what righteousness that word means. If you look it up in the dictionary, it's going to tell you that it is, a act, it is acting in accord with a divine or moral law. Or also, it, it'll also say morally right or justifiable. Well, I want to tell you today about what Paul says righteousness is and what it is not. If you could grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 9. And if you're there already, please repeat after me and say, the Bible is true. Because in New Begins, we believe that. In Philippians chapter 3, he says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Today's sermon series is titled, A Greater Righteousness. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just invade this room, that you will fall down upon this place, Lord, and you will reveal yourself to us today. Convict us. Lord, show us what it looks like to chase after and pursue you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So Paul, he starts out this letter by saying, finally. And he's not like saying finally, like to the next point. Paul is doing an old, he's doing a classic preacher move on this one. He says, finally, knowing that it's going to be another 30, 45 minutes before he's done with the letter. He's just now getting into the meat of it. And he, he wants us to remind us that we need to rejoice in the Lord. And we must remember the context in which Paul is preaching and writing this letter. He's in jail. 
He has every reason to be writing this letter with a broken spirit, to be writing this letter saddened. But instead, he writes this letter and he says, rejoice in the Lord and in the Lord, in the Lord the own and only the Lord. Paul wants to remind us this and he, keeps, he wants to keep putting this at the forefront of our memory because Paul knows this far too well because of the circumstances that he's been in. And if you notice, no matter what circumstance Paul is in, he still can write from us as a point of joy because his joy and his hope comes from a totally different place. Paul knows that when you put your hope and your joy in the things of this world and the things that you can touch and the things that you can feel, you're placing your hope in the wrong things. He understands that when you start placing your hope and your joy into the things of the invisible, the things that are of much higher power, then that's when you're putting your hope in the right things, such as Jesus Christ. Paul's circumstances never dictate his joy. This is why Paul, when he talks about this, he wants to remind us, and it's very important that you guys can hear this as well, it, relate, it relates even to this day because I know that many of you are in this room that maybe you're in a circumstance right now that you feel like your world is just crumbling around or you don't know what to do. And Paul's telling you, and no matter what the circumstance, if you know Jesus, you can rejoice in the Lord. And he's going to continue to tell us this. And he says, I write you this as a safeguard. He wants you to remember this this point very clearly, because some things are coming that he wants you to be prepared for. If, if you're a parent here, you can understand, like, if you have kids, you have to tell your kids things time and time again. I know I tell my kids 10 or 15 times to put up the trash or take out, take, put up your clothes. or You have to remind them of things often. I know my father used to have to remind me of stuff all the time. I was so hard-headed. But he did this because he loved us. He loved me. He wants what's best for me. He wants to see me grow. And Paul is saying the same thing. He wants to keep this at the forefront of your memory because there's coming a time when there's false teaching coming. And there's this group of people that are going to be teaching something that is not the true gospel, a different gospel, and Paul is reminding us and he's giving us a warning that our righteousness is not found in religion. He starts this out by warning us of this. Our righteousness is not found in religion. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, Paul's telling us to look out, be very careful, be on high alert for these dogs, these unclean animals. And he's not talking about your favorite house dog, Fido. He's talking about these dogs that travel in packs. They eat filth. They will attack you. They're vicious. When he's talking about these dogs, he's referring to the Judaizers. These are people that preach this gospel of Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus 
whatever the other thing is. It could be one of the Old Testament laws, one of the 613 Old Testament laws. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus any other good deed. Jesus plus any works is what these Judaizers were preaching. And this is a false gospel. And Paul wants us to be prepared and ready for these unclean teachings. And he's doing it by using a play on words here because the Jews oftentimes would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And now he's telling us, you need to watch out for them. They're leading you astray. This gospel of Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. And I believe it's one of the most number one ways that we see even today all throughout the world is the one of the number one most perversions of the gospel is this, that Jesus plus something. You know, we have a team in Mexico City right now. They're doing construction. They're sharing the gospel all throughout the streets of Mexico City. We have a team in San Antonio right now. We have two teams that just came back from Amazon and Burundi. And so people are all over the world right now sent by New Beginnings to share the gospel. And I will tell you, this right here is what we hear so often when sharing the good news in other places or even here in the United States. What does it sound like? It says, if you were to share the gospel with someone and you say, what is your relationship with Jesus like? How do you know that you're going to go to heaven? How do you know you're going to be reconnected with that loved one? How do you know this for sure? What is the number one answer that you hear so often is because I've done a lot of good things. Like I'm a good person. Like my parents went to church. I grew up going to church. You hear about all these other things other than just the, the complete surrenderance to Jesus. And you see it all over the world. And all those things that they mention, like reading the Bible or being good, those are good things. Nothing's wrong with that. But they're only good deeds. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Saying that nothing that we do could ever lead us closer to our salvation is only because of our putting our faith and hope in Jesus Christ can our salvation be secure. So Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. That's a false doctrine, and that's a false gospel that we must be very aware of. I want you to hear what the theologian and pastor Tony Evans has to say about this. He says, we must beware of any system of theology that says we must earn our standings with God. All the spiritual calisthenics we might do, including good things like going to church, reading our Bibles, praying, and giving will not help us earn right standings with him. Religion, in fact, only weighs us down. It never tells us when we've done enough because it allows no such end. If you think you can clean yourself up enough or work your way to Jesus, there will never be an end to it, and it is exhausting. He goes on in verse 3 to say this, For we are the circumcision who 
worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What he's doing is reminding those believers that we must rejoice in Christ and Christ alone. When we put confidence in anything else, in ourselves, or we put confidence in our achievements, when we put our confidence in the flesh and not Jesus, it will end in disaster. It's only because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us can we be saved. And Paul is going to continue on here by sharing his testimony. He's going to tell you why he believes if anybody should be closer to God, it should be him. And he uses this so the, belie- so the believers in the, that he's writing this letter to can understand and relate to all the good things that Paul has done. And I will say to you that your testimony is one of the most powerful forms of evangelism. If Jesus has done something in your life and he's transformed your life, people need to know about it. They need to hear it. And Paul shares what his life looked like before. And he tells the readers, look, if there's anybody that should be able to boast, if there's anybody that should be able to brag about being godly or being self-righteous, it's me. But what we learn here is our righteousness is not found in a resume. Our righteousness is not found in a resume. What's the first thing that you do when you apply for a job? You put in a resume. You want everybody to know all the good things that you are done. You want, to, you want them to know your job history. You want them to know that you can type 200 words per minute. You want them to know that you experience and you have good, you've had good experience with jobs before. You want them to know all the good things about you to go into this job. But there's been very few resumes that I've looked at where you tell about the things you don't do well. Like, I'm horrible at following directions. Like, I don't handle authority well. Like, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You don't see too many resumes like that. What Paul is doing here, he's telling everybody about what he used to look like and the things that, and why he, if anybody else, should be, appear to be more godly. He says in chapter 3, verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrews of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying, I've, I've been there, I've done that, I've got that shirt. I have the bloodline to prove it. I was a Pharisee, so I know all the law. I lived the law. I persecuted those that were against the church. Paul is saying he, if anyone, should have confidence to boast in his own flesh. But he goes on in verse 7, he says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul's saying just to know Jesus, to truly know Jesus is worth more than anything that I've ever accomplished upon myself. Our righteousness can only be found in knowing Jesus Christ. We can try to do things on our own, and 
even though some of these things may be good, if we have not completely surrendered ourselves to Jesus, then we are missing the mark. Our righteousness is only found in knowing Jesus. And Jesus, he tells a, a parable about this, about the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. This is what he says about how hard it can be to count everything as lost. He gives this parable. It says, just then someone came up and asked him, teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? He says, why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there is only one who is good, and if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. The young man asked, which ones? He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? He said, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have the treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. You see, the first thing that young man did, he said, teacher, what good must I do? It was about what is he doing? It's our natural, natural tendency to immediately think that we have to do something. He says, what good must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, well, if you're trying to do something, well, go do this. Go follow all these commandments. Keep these commandments. And if you can keep all of God's commandments, then you will receive the kingdom of heaven. But the problem is, is that that will never happen. Because in Romans it tells us, for all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's no man or no woman that could ever keep all of those commandments. And so the man comes back to him. He says, I have, though. I've kept those, those commandments you listed. He said, what else do I lack? And Jesus says, give up all your belongings. Give up everything that you have and go give to the poor and come and follow me. See, Jesus calls us to do something. He calls us to surrender things. And in this moment, he tells this rich young man that he needs to give up his possessions and come and follow him. And it got quiet real quick in that conversation. Crickets. He wasn't saying anything. What he did was he left grieving because he had many possessions. That rich young man, he couldn't give up the one thing that he had that had a grip on his life, and that was his possessions. That was all of the things that he owned in the world. He could not let it go. And I wonder in this place if there's some things in your life that you need to give up. What, are the thing, what is the thing or the things in your life that is keeping you from having a relationship with Jesus. It might be that thing that you're thinking of right now that you're like, man, I need to wait a little bit. Let me clean myself up a little bit more. Let me get to this point. Let me get a little bit more money or a little bit more stable in my home before I truly start following Jesus. And I want to tell you, that day's never going to come. You can't accomplish that under your own flesh. It's only through Jesus. Listen to what Jesus tells his disciples 
after this conversation with the rich young man. Jesus says, Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, it would be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to stop by there, right there and remind you that here recently, the poverty threshold of the world has increased. It went up recently, and it used to be a dollar and some change, and now the poverty threshold is $2.15, meaning that if you make more than $2.15 a day, that you are considered to not be in poverty. There was over 700 million people in 2017 that made less than $2.15 a day. Can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. Well, this is this parable, this is talking to us because we are rich. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, we cannot put our confidence in our own flesh, in the things that we do, in our, the things that we have done. We can only put our confidence in Jesus, and our righteousness is only found in knowing Jesus, having a true relationship with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him he might become the righteousness of God. Our confidence comes from our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. So as we, as we have worked through this passage, we see that our righteousness is not found in religion. It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. We see our righteousness is not found in a resume. We cannot work our way into heaven. It's not about the good deeds that we do. We've seen that our righteousness is found in knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. And lastly, I use that term lastly because don't forget about Paul's move he did earlier, that finally, so don't get too excited like you're about to get out of here. <laughs> lastly, our righteousness requires surrendering. It says this, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Saul, before he became Paul, Saul had everything. He had all the respect. Everybody knew who he was. He'd done so much. And from the worldly perspective, this was a man that was godly. People, it even says in Scripture that people laid down their garments at the feet of Saul. Saul was a man that in, in everybody's eyesight would think he was a godly man. But he'll tell you when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed. 
Everything changed for him in that moment. And all of the things that he, he strived for, all of the things that he had done in his past, all of the accolades, he would give it all away. He would say, this is rubbish to me, and that is a gentle way of saying it. It's trash. I would give it all away just to gain Christ. Paul said, there's nothing that I have or could have that is like having Jesus. He would give it all away for the sake of Christ. So that is why Paul can rejoice in a jail cell. That is why Paul can rejoice when he's shipwrecked and stranded. That is why Paul can rejoice when he's been beaten and shackled, because he knew Jesus. And because that, and be only because of Jesus, is it worth giving away everything. But Paul had to surrender something. He had to give some stuff up. He had to give some things away. He had to give away all the things of his past. He had to surrender something. Following Jesus calls for you to surrender something. Our righteousness requires for us to surrender. Jesus tells a parable about this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, where he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. In both of these situations, they realize that they have something of great value, something that is worth more than anything that they could have ever possessed. And what do they do? They give away everything for it. They're willing to sell off all that they have for this thing of great value. And he's saying that is what the kingdom of heaven is. Are you willing to give away everything? Are you willing to die to yourself to follow Jesus? Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 14 when he's addressing a large crowd, he's, he reminds the crowd this in Luke 14 verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 33 says, so therefore anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a heavy statement to hear. That's a heavy questions for us to wrestle over. Are we willing to leave everything to follow him? Are we willing to say goodbye to the family that could be keeping you from a relationship with Jesus? Are you willing to leave a relationship that you know you don't need to be in because it is suppressing your relationship with Jesus? Are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? We should struggle with this. We should wrestle with this. And your answer should be yes. It should be like these merchants that knew 
that because of Jesus, what you find in Jesus is worth more than anything that you could ever possibly obtain on your own? Are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to give up that thing? I know for me, I wasn't willing to do that. For the majority of my life, I pursued self-righteousness on my own. I wasn't willing to give up everything for Jesus. But if you were to ask me, I would say, hey, I was a Christian. I grew up going to church. My parents drug me there every Sunday. I was a good guy. I was a good kid. I didn't get in too much trouble. I didn't talk back to my teachers. I definitely didn't talk back to my parents. I was good. As I got older, as an adult, I worked hard for everything that I had. I made money. I was successful. The people in my community knew me. They were like, man, George is good because I was a good guy. I built up quite a resume in the world's eyes, but inside I was broken. I was depressed. There was no bad decision that could ever make me feel good on the inside. Everything I tried to do was nothing. Nothing could fill the void in my heart. I wasn't willing to give up everything for Jesus. I was really good, really, really good at building a good resume. I built a great resume and I knew just enough about Jesus to lead me straight to hell. And I wanna say, I don't want that for you. There may be some of you in, your, in this room right now that that relates to you. You hear that, and you're like, that's me. I grew up going to church, but I don't really know Jesus. I've never completely surrendered myself to him. I'm doing all these religious deeds that are good, but I'm tired, and I'm getting exhausted, and nothing's changing. It won't ever change until you surrender everything to Christ. Our salvation is only secure by knowing Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You have to surrender. You have to be able to give up something. It takes a great exchange. Jesus did it for us, and it requires you to do it as well. If you've been in this place and you're hearing this, and you're like, I've been doing this for years. I've been walking, I've been coming here every Sunday morning and everyone would say that I'm a follower of Christ. From the world's eyes, I look like everything is good, but I know inside I've never truly surrendered to him. I would say that you don't need to leave this place without laying it all to Jesus. If you want your life to change, it calls for surrenderance. Our righteousness, our confidence is not found in ourselves. If we continue to try that, you will fail and you will end up sad, broken, and you will eventually end up in eternity separated from Jesus. Those are truths. And so as we begin in just a moment to worship with each other, 
I want you to evaluate. I want you to really ask yourself those questions. Do I truly know Jesus or have I been just walking the walk? Is it time for me to surrender everything to him? What is that one thing or things that are keeping you from completely having joy that is only found in Jesus? Or your circumstances continue to dictate what your joy is? As for me, I choose Jesus. And I pray that you will too. He will transform your life. He will make all things new. And so guys, I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna begin to worship in just a moment. But right now in this moment, I, I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to ask the Lord some questions. One, do I really know Jesus? Have I really surrendered my life to him? Or maybe it's I know Jesus but there's that thing that I've been afraid to bring out in the open that I need to confess, repent, and so I can move forward with my relationship with Christ. It is smothering your relationship with him. What is that? And leave it here. There may be some of you in this room that you know Jesus, you've been following him for a long time, but you were never obedient in going forward with baptism. Come and talk to somebody about that. Guys, there's people here that want to pray with you. They want to walk with you through this. But I beg you, if you're coming to this place and you're still on that treadmill of religion, I'm begging you to jump off and surrender everything to Jesus. There's no reason for you to leave this place the way that you walked in it. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I just... I ask that you will move in this place, that you will convict hearts, that you will draw people to yourself. God, do what only you can do, and that's save us. Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for us, and only because of that can our salvations be secured. We thank you, Lord. Rejoice in, in you, in your name alone. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.